There was an unspoken virus that consumed Israel up to that point. And you know what? That virus is still around today. And it's plaguing us today. And I see it everywhere. It's called the virus of spiritual blindness. The Apostle Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 4.4. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. And they're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. Millions of people couldn't see what Jesus was coming into Jerusalem for. They were there. They were shouting, Hosanna. And so realistically, Palm Sunday is a tale of two kingdoms. And I want you to try and see things not just from the lens of Jesus, but I want you to see things this morning from the lens of a kingdom and from the lens of a kingdom representative if you've given your life to Jesus Christ. And don't miss this. While the crowd was rejoicing, and there was a lot of them there, Bible scholars estimate that there was close to 2 million people that converged in on Jerusalem. People from Galilee where he ministered. People who saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. Everywhere, and they converged in because it was Passover week. They came in for the feast. I mean, everyone, it was just the perfect storm. And everyone's cheering their king to come and save them. And as they're cheering, as they're shouting out praises, blessed he is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Here is Jesus seeing the whole picture, weeping uncontrollably. Crying uncontrollably. It's not the first time that we see Jesus weeping when he prayed for his friend Lazarus. The Bible said he wept and that was it. It was sort of like a a demonstration so that Martha and Mary can see and everyone could see. And they said, see how he cares. But this one was a different type of weeping. This one was a deep sorrow because he saw their hearts. He saw it from the beginning to the end. He saw their motive and he saw how they were missing why he came into the first place. He wept like the prophet Jeremiah said in chapter 9 verses 1, all that my head were a spring of water, my eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night for the slain of my people. So that's why they call him the what prophet? The weeping prophet. Try and picture this from the lens of the Savior. You know, we celebrate Palm Sunday, but Jesus was weeping and crying on Palm Sunday. The people are rejoicing because they have no idea. They wouldn't rejoice if they knew judgment was coming. And wherever Jesus looked, he found, he found reason to cry and to weep. You see, if he looked back, at his three years of ministry up to this point. Healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, doing one miracle after another. He wept because they wanted those things more than they wanted to repent of their sins and find out what living for this other kingdom Jesus was establishing was all about. And he wept over that. If he looked within, he found reason to weep due to the spiritual blindness and the ignorance in the hearts of the people. They should have known he was God because God had given him his word and he sent messengers to prepare the way. And he spent three years with them. And Jesus knew that the majority of those singing his praises, Hosanna in the highest, 
would soon, days later, be singing the chorus of, crucify him. And that made him weep. They went from blessing his name to crucify him. And that made him weep. If he looked around, Jesus had another reason to weep because all he saw was religious activity that kept people away from the presence of God. The temple had become a, a den of robbers, of thieves. And the religious, the religious wanted to kill him. See, the religious will always want to kill the anointing of God. They'll always want to kill anything to do with salvation, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the true word of God. See, instead of praying for the people, the priests were praying on the people. They were taking advantage of them. And because Jesus could see the future and what was waiting for Israel, he saw a terrible judgment coming to the nation, the city, and even the temple. You see, in 70 AD, the Romans would come, and after a siege of 143 days, they they killed 600,000 Jews, captured thousands more, and destroyed the entire city and the temple, brick, stone by stone, brick by brick. The whole city was destroyed. Why did that happen? Because the people heard a different lyric and a different message from Jesus. Spiritual blindness. They simply missed the fact that the God of the universe came to be with them. That the God of the universe loved them so much that he wanted to spend eternity with them. That he had to take care of a problem that they couldn't take care of themselves. Their sins. And that he would come and purchase them And take their sins, become their sins, die to their sins, defeat that sin so that we can be declared not guilty. They missed that. In John 1, he puts it this way in verse 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He wept because of that. The procession starts in a very interesting place a place called Bethpage. Bible doesn't talk a lot about Bethpage. A lot of Bible scholars don't talk a lot about Bethpage. I can. Not the Bethpage in in the Bible. There's a place in Long Island called Bethpage, Long Island. And in Long Island, there's a public park that has five golf courses on it, all different colors, red, orange, green, blue, and then there's black. And the black course at Bethpage State Park is considered one of the toughest, if not, I think it's the toughest golf course in the world to play. It used to be, Sam Snead played there years ago and walked off the course and said, this is too hard for me. And they actually made it easier for the pros to play, and they wouldn't play pro tournaments there until they tamped down the course and made it easier. Now, if you got a tee time and you played at the black, and I played there a few times, it's typical New York course. There's a sign on the first tee box, the first hole, that's the actual sign. It says the black course is an extremely difficult course. We only recommend highly skilled golfers play this course. And just like typical New Yorkers, you'll get on the first tee, and typically you had to wait all night. You had to camp out in your car just to play the place. And then when you finally got to the tee box, there's a crowd there. And they're all watching you. And if you hit a bad shot, they start yelling at you. Get off the course. Crucify him. <laughs> it's like, what do I do? You know, it's so much pressure on the first hole. And if you hit a good shot, they cheer for you. Hosanna in the highest first hole. 
it's, very, it's a very difficult golf course. Listen, Jesus, the journey that Jesus was about to take was going to be the most difficult journey of all. And he's weeping. He's not weeping because of what he would have to face. He took joy in that. He took great joy in that. You see, Jesus came to Jerusalem with the cross in mind. See, here's something you should never forget. The cross is the intersection of God's love and justice. And a lot of people don't understand love and justice. And both had, both were on full display all throughout Holy Week, especially on Good Friday. Now, again, they estimate that we're talking about a couple of million people that came to that came from everywhere to see Jesus establish his kingdom, but it was a far different kingdom than the one that they wanted established. And for three years, Jesus was speaking to people about this kingdom. It's another reason why he wept. He taught them about the kingdom. He spoke in parables about this kingdom that he's establishing. And as for me and you, we should, be, as kingdom representatives, we should be consumed with kingdom thoughts, making kingdom plans, operating under kingdom jurisdiction, exacting kingdom judgment on anything that opposes anything to do with the kingdom. That's what you're called to do. That's, that's your calling. That's your inheritance. And he's telling everyone how to think, how to act, how to live like a kingdom representative, and he talked about the kingdom. I think there were 13 parables alone just about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And just, but just like the lyrics that we miss in the songs, they miss that message. He taught them how to pray for the kingdom. He gave them the Lord's Prayer. He said, pray this way, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He taught them the antidote to worry when he said, seek his kingdom. His righteousness first. And all these things you're worried about, they'll be added to your life. And then here's the one thing that so many people overlook in Matthew 4, 17. Is this was the, the central message that Jesus preached wherever he went. A lot of, I hear a lot of people say, well, he preached more about money. Well, he preached more about... No, Pre Jesus had one central message that he preached over and over and over again in Matthew 4, 17. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And the two go hand in hand. Because you can't experience the kingdom without repentance, and repentance is a beautiful thing. And Jesus is establishing his kingdom. And everybody there thinks he's establishing another kingdom. They were praising God for all, for, for all the wrong reasons. See, they wanted that political savior. They thought Jesus was about to take control, but they missed the suffering part, the taking care of their sin part, the repentance part. They wanted Jesus to level the Romans. Instead, Jesus levels the money changers at the temple, and he turns over and chases out those who are making a buck, taking advantage of the people. It was a happy day that would eventually turn bitter as the same people would turn on him. The same people who were yelling out in praise, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna means save now. Save us now. Hosanna. 
it's a challenging thing to say because they wanted saving without the salvation. They wanted to be saved without the salvation. They wanted Jesus to save them. They just wanted a king, but for only a day. And again, I want you to see it. I want you to picture it, panoramic. They wanted a king for only a day. The crowd is in a frenzy, cheering. And Jesus lets them cheer. But as they're cheering, he's weeping and crying uncontrollably. And then he moves from being sad to being really mad. And he enters the temple area and drives out those who is, and drives out everyone in the temple, and he said this, and this is a key thing. He's operating with the authority that God is, he's operating now as, as the king, establishing his kingdom, when he says, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now, why did Jesus call the temple a den of robbers? Because the place where robbers hide out, where thieves hide out, is, is always called a den. The religious leaders and some of the people were using the temple and the Jewish religion to cover up their sins. Let me ask you today, what does God want in his house? Prayer. What does God want his house to be known as? Prayer. He said, my house will be called a house of prayer. Not a house of worship, although we need it and we love it. Not a house of teaching, although you could do without it sometimes. A house of prayer. The atmosphere should be prayer. 